Do you know what the most important question to ask yourself is when you're creating a new sustainable product? That's what we'll be talking about today. I'm Daniel Hartz, and this is the Sustainability Champions Podcast, where we highlight the people, ideas, and innovations that are protecting and healing the planet. Today, my guest is Patrick Marsden, partner and co-owner at Masher. Masher is a sustainable design and manufacturing firm that designs thoughtful products and meaningful solutions so that their clients get noticed. As a certified B Corp, they use their business as a force for good and focus on helping brands transition away from products made of single-use plastics and virgin materials. Looking forward to hearing all about this. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me. Well, Daniel, what an amazing introduction. You've evidently done your research. Thanks so much for having me. I'm tremendously excited to be here and to uh, have a chat with you. Awesome. Really, well, really glad to hear that. I was uh, very enthusiastic and I'm, I'm also well, very excited. You know, absolutely. <laughs> and wh- where are you taking the call from? Uh, I'm uh, in Venice Beach, California. Wonderful. Um, the place of some of the most beautiful sunsets that I've ever seen. And um, today, I'd really like to discuss three things primarily. I'm sure we'll, we'll go off the beaten path uh, frequently, but what I'm really interested in primarily is, number one, what is the most important step when deciding on a new sustainable product to design for one of your clients? Number two is really your background and how you got started in this space. And then third, I think you have some really fantastic case studies in terms of the clients you've worked with at least that are listed on your website that I'd love to hear. And I'm sure our listeners would love to hear as well. So uh, to go through some of those products as well. But before we dive in briefly, can you please just describe what MaShare is and, and what you do? Yeah, as you, as you mentioned in your introduction, we're a certified B Corporation, uh, which places us amongst a group of businesses that have all decided uh, that they want to use uh, their business as a force for good. Uh, these are businesses like Patagonia, Ben and Jerry's, uh, Seventh Generation, uh, and so we feel very privileged to you know, count them as, as our peers. And uh, you know, with, within that, we are a business that wants to change the way that our clients think about physical products. So how can we use all of our knowledge around uh, sustainability, around sustainable materials, around manufacturing, around um, the psychology of consumption to guide our clients towards um, delivering an incredible customer experience to their customers, but doing so in a sustainable um, manner. And very often, we can actually help them give a better customer experience for less money in a more sustainable way, which is really the triple win that we're constantly hunting for. Wow. So the, the triple win, uh, can, you, can you say it one more time? It's better customer experience, lower cost, and what was the third? Um, in a sustainable manner. Yeah. Amazing. That's, that's, well, that's really, really cool. So the, um, there's a, you just said a lot of different things. And I think one of, at least based on the conversation that we had prior to recording, you were saying that the psychology behind uh, the actual cons- consumption aspect, as well as how you think about um, all the work that you do when you think about creating a new product is really the area that fascinates you the most. Um, and I really want to hear more about that before we, we jump into that part uh, what was the moment really that you wanted to, uh, or when you realized that you wanted to be a part of Masher and, and get involved in, I suppose, sustainability? Well, I, you know, I found Masher very much by accident. Um, I had left my last job, which, um, 
you know, I enjoyed greatly, but it didn't um, fill me with passion. You know, mm. uh, it was um, interesting, but I didn't wake up in the morning, clap my hands and think, God, I'm so excited to go to work. And so I knew that I had a huge interest in travel. I've been very lucky that um, uh, because of my dad's job, I've lived in a number of different countries and grown up, you know, basically moving around the whole time. So I, I, travel has always very much been a part of my life. It's an industry that I've always wanted to spend a lot more time in. And I found Marshare as a company that um, works very with a, a great deal of travel companies. And so, you know, i submitted a, a resume to some job posting online for I'll never hear from these guys but it kind of makes you feel good while you're doing that during the job hunting process and very surprisingly because I was totally unqualified for the job um, I got a call back mostly because I wrote about uh, some insane trip that I took across India in a rickshaw and the owner of the company happens to love India and thought at the very least it'd be interesting to talk to this guy for half an hour so that's what that's what got me in the door it was an accident effectively and when I got there, I had no idea what a B corporation was. I'd never really thought of a business as doing anything other than creating shareholder value. You know, this concept of creating stakeholder value and looking after the community and your team and, and the people that work all the way up and down your supply chain uh, was totally alien to me. Um, so really, the last seven years have been uh, my conversion. And now I'm an evangelist. You know, I'm, uh, I, I really can't think of a better way to run a business and a better way to operate a business and um, that sort of infectious contagion which we refer to as the ripple effect um, is very much at the core of what we do how do we if people are giving us money how do we talk to them about um, handling the things in a more sustainable way and if we're giving people money how do we pick people that are doing things in a sustainable way and so it's those ripples both up and down our supply chain that, that have a hopefully have a bigger impact than our little business would typically create. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure they do. So when, when you work with clients, um, uh, do, do your clients like these travel companies that you, you mentioned, you have others that are, are not in the travel space as well. Do they pick my share specifically because of the sustainability element or is that just one of the decisions? I imagine it's one of the decisions. Um, I guess my question is how important is it really to your clients when um, when choosing to work with you? I think in, in the past, it was a very small part of their decision-making process. Mm. And the sustainability aspect of what we do is increasingly becoming more and more important uh, as sustainability becomes part of uh, a normalized conversation. Before, it was a bit crunchy, it was a bit granolary, it was a bit sort of, you know, oh, you know you're a tree hugger. And often sustainability meant a um, deterioration in the quality of product, right? Often right. you were making sacrifice to be sustainable. But now we actually see the opposite. Uh, sure, sometimes it might be a little bit more expensive, um, but very often the quality of the product is, is excellent. Um, so I think from a future-proofing, from a roguish, selfish business sense, um, the fact that we are so far ahead of many other people in our industry from a sustainability standpoint uh, it's going to be very helpful from the acquisition of new business standpoint. And interestingly, um, when you look at businesses um, that have survived and thrived during COVID, um, B Corps, um, other businesses um, with a similar mindset to ours have done a lot better than mm -hmm. the, the shareholder value of, you know, I'm just out for, to create profit and that's it. Um, I think we, we found our community has supported us through this time. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see long-term yeah. the impact. You know, sort of social businesses. I guess briefly, since since you already mentioned it, um, 
uh, in terms of B Corp, and I, I really do want to talk about the the most important thing to think about when um, when uh, creating new products. Um, just while we're on the topic of B Corp, what what exactly is um, uh, is a B Corp? And actually, I, I remember seeing, and I, I was really impressed by the fact that you were honored by B Lab, which is the, the organization that does the B Corp status as best for the world in 27 and 2018. So, what 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 exactly does it mean to be best for the world? I mean, that's epic. Well, uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I, I think um, it's good to understand what a B Corporation is. So yes. effectively, what a B Corp is, it, it means that the owners of the business have decided that they want to use their business as a force for good, right? Which sounds like flowery language. And what that means is that B Lab, which is the uh, body which really is sort of audits these uh, B Corporations, has done a really, really deep audit of your business and has ranked you in certain different uh, areas, right? Governance, citizenship, uh, corporate social responsibility, things like that. And um, so every now and then we're audited by B Lab and we're given a score, right? In these different areas that you're assessed at as a B corporation. And those scores are transparent. You can give it a Google and you can see what those scores are. And so the um, award that you mentioned um, is for being in the top 10% of those scores. And uh, we have uh, very uh, fortunately been awarded that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, for the last couple of years, of which, for which we're very, very proud. Uh, so in, in short, um, it's a way for a business to announce, yes, we're going to do good and we're going to be very transparent and public about how we're doing in our quest to become a better business. And transparency is at the core of being a B Corporation, and it's very much at the core of our culture as well. Um, we're never afraid, uh, and, and a recent example is, is during the um, conversation around Black Lives Matter, we're never afraid to say, hey, we're doing something badly, and we need to improve. And so, and we're never afraid to say that, have that conversation publicly. It's like, look, this is where we are now. We don't think it's very good. This is our plan to be better. And we're going to report on our progress publicly, whether that's on getting rid of certain materials in our manufacturing process, like PVC, uh, not manufacturing single-use products for our clients, um, having a more diversified workforce. It doesn't matter what it is. That ethos of transparency uh, percolates through our business, through our team. You know, we're never afraid to stand up and say, hey, I did something really badly. I need some help. I need some advice on how to do it better. Um, in fact, we really, really award uh, that behavior. And so um, culturally, transparency uh, echoes throughout all B Corps and also especially through our business too. Yeah, my, yeah my, to your question. But I, I think I, that's I, I, a, no. it's a great question. Or, sorry, it's a, it's a great answer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you said it's a really deep audit Um which sounds intense. So what, what kind of stuff, I mean, do they, are they actually doing and going through when they're seeing if you qualify? Oh, I mean, you know, I, I, I employ you and your listeners. You can actually take um, the initial assessment for free online. That's sort of 500 questions, you know, asking you all sorts. Oh, I, I don't know if it's 500, I can't remember, but it's a lot of questions. And it's a great way to actually start thinking about your business and thinking about, how your business operates, because it, it really makes you think about the different aspects of your supply chain or you know, how you're treating staff and the sort of benefits you're giving and how you're hiring. And, 
Um, so it goes deep. It goes deep into every level of your business, whether it's, uh, you know, in our case as a manufacturer, it's where manufacturing, um, uh, you know, how the staff who work in the factories looked after, you know, what's your shipping supply chain, how, what sort of benefits are you giving to your team, um, how are you using your profits, are you giving back to your community? I mean, it goes through every wow. strata of your business. Um, and so it's great because it's, it's a very, very positive um, thinking exercise about how you're running your business and how you can run it um, more effectively. And we're not talking about sacrificing the efficiency of your business. It, it's, it, it, if anything, it's making you operate more efficiently, but also more effective uh, for the different uh, stakeholders that your business impacts. Well, that's very cool. And it, it's interesting to see, I mean, just spending time on LinkedIn or even on Instagram, uh, just uh, the number of people who are really working hard to get that B Corp status. Um, clearly, um, you know, first of all, it's, I think it's a, it's a really powerful symbol from a marketing standpoint, which I, I would argue is more of a side effect. Uh, it clearly also just shows how uh, good it is for the company. You know, if they're willing to go through all that work to actually get that status, clearly there is a big payoff. Um, Absolutely. And so, I'll tell you what, when we're hiring, uh, the quality of people that are coming in that want to work for a B corporation is incredible. Hmm. So if any of your listeners are thinking, what's in it for me or my business, from a future-proofing standpoint, it is huge from a yeah. future hiring standpoint. Uh, especially millennials want to feel like they're working for someone who are doing something for good or doing, you know, doing something with purpose, you have a business right. purpose. Um, and you can't, you can't bluff your way through the, <laughs> the, the lab assessment. You know, you can't greenwash your way through becoming a B corporation. Right? If someone's got that little B next to their, their business name, uh, then chances are they're a pretty good place to work, work or they're, uh, they're run by pretty good people. Wow. That's the yeah. That's cool. So yeah, it, it weeds out anyone who is looking to, uh, to just get it without doing the work. I mean, it would be impossible. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of, you know, I've never actually, you know, uh, managed the audit process myself. My business partner, Derek, uh, handles all of that. And uh, he's a very, very patient, detail-oriented, incredibly clever man. Um, I'm glad that he's the one that's in charge of it. So. Yeah, I can appreciate that. <laughs> I'm in the same boat as you. And speaking of, of transparency, just before we move on, I did notice on your website you have your, um, your basically all of your sustainability uh, you have these long, very thorough, in-depth reports of your, uh, I, think, I think they're called sustainability reports. Yeah, uh, progress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're just outlining in very plain, it's plain language. It's very honest about, you know, here was the goal that we had for 2019. Here's how we did. And sometimes you're like, you know what, we didn't do it at all. And um, I remember reading a couple spots where it was like, we, we weren't able to do it. Um, and here's the plan that we have to achieve it for next year. Uh, and in other parts, you know, it says like, we had this goal and we, we, we got it. It was great. And people are really happy with it. And I think that transparency uh, is great because it just goes to show, like what you said, you know, people don't always, it's coming back to that original point of, if you don't know how to do something, it's okay to just stand up and say, I don't know. Because then people are willing to help you and support you. And they realize that you're honest and you're not just uh, saying what they want to hear. Um, absolutely. absolutely. I can't encourage, you know, other businesses to do this more. If we yeah. all start saying, Hey, look, we didn't get this right, we're, we're, but here's our plan to fix it. What a wonderful world we'll live in. Cause God absolutely. knows we all have things that we need to, we need to improve on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, our progress on sustainability report, we send that to all of our clients. 
Um, we aim to keep it simple. The problem yeah. with sustainability world is that it's so full of jargon and fluffy language and just impossibly hard to read documents. Like, why can't we just speak in plain English? Like, it, it's a very simple thing that we're all trying to do. Why do we make it so damn difficult? You know, exactly. why do we build this sort of wall around it that makes it feel a little unapproachable? Uh, we, we need to do better. As a, as a- yeah, I agree with that, especially considering that um, it concerns everyone. We're talking about our home, you know, not to sound too cheesy, but I mean, it really is the planet that we live on. Uh, it does concern everyone. And so I think it, it helps to keep the language straightforward so that everyone who's interested, and I get it, most people don't want to, but anyone who does want to read it, they don't need to be a scientist or have a PhD in order to, you know, actually be able to uh, understand and, and uh, interpret what, what is being said. Um, so going back to the original question that I, I asked at the very beginning, which I think is, is a really interesting point, um, just about, you know, what is the most sustainable thing that a company can do or, or better yet, how can, what's the most, what's the approach required for a company who's thinking about a new product, uh, to ensure that it is sustainable. And, um, I guess before we jump into that, just to define really quickly, when we're talking about products from the point of view of my share, what would that actually be sure so we we make money by designing and manufacturing physical products and when we sit down with a client the most sustainable question we have is also our first question which is why are we doing this right and when you walk around the business asking why are you doing this it's amazing how many times people don't know the answer Right. And say we ask it all the time within our own business. We ask it everyone else's business. I ask my friends and their business. And I'll tell you what, if the person answering the question gets frustrated and angry, they don't know the answer. Right. And say, obviously, as a client, you have to handle that slightly differently. If it's inside the business, you've got to handle it gently. Um, But why is the most powerful question you can ask in business? And you should ask it over and over and over. And so when you get through the why stage, when you establish the reason why you need something, then you start to build the strategy, right? And everything we do at Marshare is steeped in research. So let me take the travel world and say the world that we work in just from a big picture, uh, travel, beauty, a bit of alcohol, higher education, um, health and wellness. um, Those are the big ones. And so I'll focus on travel because that's really my passion. Um, when you look at a travel provider, this could be a cruise line, uh, it could be a tour operator, and a tour operator basically gets either individuals or a group of people, builds an itinerary for them and sends them off on the trip, either with a staff member from the tour operator or alone. Right. Um, <clears throat> and you look at the research behind experiential consumption, which is, which is fascinating, um, and you lay that research out you, you find your clients thinking in a very different way. And so to stay on the travel example, when we walk into a travel client for the first time, my guess is that 99% of their focus is on making the best trip possible for their guests, right? And we sit down with them and we use research uh, written by a couple of amazing social psychologists out of Cornell uh, called Gilovich and Kumar. And they have studied 
why is it that experiential consumption makes us so much happier than material consumption? And this paired with a different Dutch study on uh, stress levels pre, on, and post travel show that 50% of our happiness from travel or from any experiential consumption occurs before the event. It's anticipation, right? We've got this thing booked, really looking forward to it, we can't wait. The experience itself is only 15% of our happiness. And post-trip is 35% of our happiness. Nostalgia, the social capital we've built, being able to tell our friends at a dinner party about Petra, uh, the memories we have of, the, of these trips that we've taken, uh, are cumulative. They mount up and they build part of who we are as human beings. So actually 85% of a consumer's happiness from experiential consumption occurs outside of the event itself. Yet 85% of experiential providers' energy is not spent on those periods. So that's the first thing. That's the first conversation. It's like, well, wait a minute. Let's lay out the pre, on, and post-trip periods. Where is all your time and energy going right now? And now let's talk about why you're doing whatever it is that, you're, that we're talking about, right? What's the product we're building? Really, we should be sending your guests things in the pre-trip period to whip up that sense of excitement, anticipation, and get them talking to their friends and family and, and getting them really jazzed up about this trip to come. Uh, or after the trip, should we be sending things to help them rebook? Generally, Americans book travel in January for the year ahead. So should we be sending them something in New Year's Eve to get them thinking about their travel resolutions for the year? And so when you apply research um, to business strategy, the results are phenomenal, right? Uh, you have to test it, uh, and you have to make sure that your theories uh, and your hypotheses are correct. But then when you do, and you pour a little bit more gasoline onto that fire, the results are amazing. Um, and the last little bit of research I'll talk about, Daniel Kahneman, who won the Nobel Memorial Prize in, for economics in, I think, 2003, he wrote a book called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. But he also wrote an incredible study um, called Peak End Theory, uh, in which he dunked a lot of people in ice baths and did all sorts of things to them. But the end result was that he found that the end of an experience has a significant impact on your memory of the entire event. And so uh, an example I always give is there's a big travel conference every year in Berlin that I went, I, well, pre-COVID, I would go to. And um, I stayed at a mediocre hotel years ago. But as I left, the very last touch that they gave me was giving me what they said, and it could just be around a piece of concrete, uh, was a little piece of the Berlin Wall, right? And because of that, that was the last touch, uh, I really remember that place very fondly, even though the experience was generally quite dull. Uh, so um, then I read the Peak End Theory white paper, which is a brutal read. Um, <laughs> well, you know, why aren't our travel companies doing this consistently, right? Why aren't all travel companies giving you that final little touch at the very end of their product to help you remember the event more, more effectively. And so we tested that uh, with a river cruise line um, who were flying uh, North Americans primarily in economy from North America to Europe, sending them on a river cruise and flying back. And the uh, river cruise line included uh, air, uh, uh, included the air ticket as part of the price of the, of the river cruise. So the River Cruise Line was being held accountable for the um, service provided by, you know, Delta or Air France or anything. 
Now, the flight into Europe was fine because people were excited and they're looking forward to getting on the ship and having a lo lovely time. Flight home, less so. You're in economy, trip's over, you're heading back to the, you know, uh, 400 emails in your inbox and the pile of mail and, you know, you're going to clean the house, all that sort of stuff. And uh, so their uh, NPS scores are a very big thing in travel. So their NPS scores were getting dinged um, because of that end of trip and that because of that last flight. In their post-trip surveys, they were, they were really upset about the flight. So we took a, a, a test group of 5,000 of their passengers and the control was everyone else. And we gave them a little kit that we made that said, that had like, because these guys are flying economy, basically what would be in a business class kit. So eye shades, a little pen, you know, crossword puzzle, um, earplugs. Uh, but importantly, there was some copy attached to the kit. And it said, um, we know that air travel home can be uncomfortable. Here's a little something to make your trip back more enjoyable, right? And in that test group, complaints dropped 36%. Wow. So theory works, right? Then, great. Okay, so now we deploy that across everyone, right? Um, because that's, that's a product that is solving a problem. And if you, you're using problem, uh, product in that way, then that's really exciting because that improves the customer experience. We can make all the stuff in the kit out of recycled single-use plastic bottles. Uh, we can offset the environmental impact of manufacturing these, these items. And we can improve the customer experience, right? And, you know, the kit costs $5 or something. $5 to get 40% of your uh, passengers looking back more fondly on the experience you provided is, uh, is a huge, huge return on a very small investment per, on a per-passenger basis. Um, so that's a good sort of real-world example of how research has been translated into a physical product and the impact that that physical product has um, on the revenue of the business long term, which uh, I don't know those figures yet, but it's likely pretty positive. Well, that's really cool. I mean, those are, those are really uh, impressive figures and, and really great case studies. So the, the, we, we started on that topic because of the, the, ultimately the question of why are we doing this? Um, because it, as you say, it's the most, one of the most, if not the most important question that a company can ask in, uh, to improve their sustainability. So just going back to, to that point, um, asking the question of why, um, could you just, um, I suppose, go in, into a little more detail on how asking that question is ensuring that companies are, are in fact being sustainable and, um, and how I, I suppose you can assist as a product designer or, um, you know, really what Mashair's um, uh, strengths are, how you can assist companies to be more sustainable through that process of really questioning. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say the very simple way that we do that is, again, with a whiteboard. And we say, okay, look, our world is uh, focused uh, primarily on using product to solve problems. Right? Mm -hmm. So let's write down all the products that you're making right now with, with your name on it, right? And let's go through them and ask why you're making each one. And very often it's a load of, you know, sort of you hear the word swag or tchotchkes or stuff like that. Hate stuff. Like there's, there's no, there's no um, evidence that it works. There's no research that shows it increases any return or has any sense of an ROI. Um, and so, you know, likely some bigger companies are making 100,000 pens and keychains and this sort of nonsense, just all this plastic being pumped out. And so, again, we ask why. And it's like, well, we've always done it. And as soon as you hear that, you're like, well, let's not do it, right? What happens if we don't do it? What happens to your revenue? Probably nothing. Correct. 
let's stop making that, right? Um, and let's take the budget from all these pointless things that you're making, and now let's look at your business, right? What problems exist in your business that can be solved with products, if any, right? Um, and so if there are, we take that budget from useless tact and we turn it into something that solves a problem, right? So problem is uh, passengers hate the flight home. Great, we've got a solution. We've got a solution based in evidence. We're going to test it on a small test group. And if it works, then we'll expand it to the rest. So it's, it's being methodical, strategic, um, curious, uh, and it's challenging, right? To go into a new client and to challenge the way that they're doing business. It's tough. Um, it's tough, but I'll tell you what, you, you lay out the research first and then you overlay what they're doing right now. Way different mindset. You go in and be like, what you're doing right now is, is terrible. You should be doing this. Probably not going to, probably not going to go very well. But the, the beauty of academic research, it's all out there. You just got to sit down and read it, right? You got to find the relevant stuff. You got to read it. You got to apply it. You got to test it, but it's not behind paywalls. I mean, these, I, I, I'll tell you what, you email these guys, these professors, they are so excited to talk to you. They're so excited to hear that you're using their research uh, in real world examples. And, um, Again, it's much like the sustainability language. Sometimes there's a little academic wall of, of complicated language and complicated theories. Read the abstract. You know, they've cut through it. There's a paragraph at the top that tells you what the whole thing's about. And if it sounds relevant, then you, you chew your way through it. If it doesn't, doesn't, then move on to the next one. Um, and so that, that's the conversation. What are you doing right now? Why are you doing it? We've always done it. It's gone. You know, don't know. It's gone. Uh, well, we're doing it because of this. Like, have you tested it? Is that true? Uh, don't know. It's gone, right? And so, uh, it, and it's just, it's insistent, it's calm, um, it's evidence-based, it's research-based. And um, if you have measurable results on the product that you're creating, then uh, they look like heroes. You know, they go off to their bosses and they say, you know what, we tested this thing, we've got a 36% drop in um, complaints. It's like, they're the hero. And so we're just quietly behind the scenes kind of directing those conversations. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, if you're, um, it just goes back to the point again of, um, uh, you know, I, I guess sometimes less is more. Um, and if you're able to prove, as you said at the beginning of, the, of our, of our call so far is, um, you know, if you're with, uh, with the way that you approach, uh, using this mindset, um, it ends up being a triple win. So it's that, of course, it's it's um, it's cheaper for the product because they're using, or sorry, cheaper for the company because they're spending less on worthless junk, basically. Uh, which um, and and instead they're focusing on something that provides a better client experience, and ultimately it ends up being more sustainable. Um, I mean, it, you're absolutely right. It's, it's just cutting back on things that don't make sense um, is sounds to me like the first and foremost step and if you're able to somehow uh actually take you know hundred thousand plastic pens that break after the third use and unfortunately i've been giving given so many of these and you start writing with them and they literally just crack in half because they're so right. cheap um, it's all battery packs like all this tap you get at conferences that you leave in your hotel rooms it's like oh we've got to stop making this, this nonsense. exactly so how so uh, you're replacing that with, first of all, things that are actually meaningful and actually make a difference to the customers um, or at least to the company. Um, but I would say that that's probably half the story of what MyShare does because the other half is really you, you actually do focus on sustainable 
products and sustainable materials. And I know that the, that a life cycle assessment, for instance, is something that's, that's important to the work that you do. So, um, you know, if you're removing all of these useless pens and battery packs that end up being thrown away, unfortunately, um, what, what is it exactly that you're focusing on replacing it with? Right. So the most sustainable thing we can do is say is, is, is ask why, right? So now we've got to the point where we're actually making a product to solve a problem for a right. business. And so at that point, we think, how can we make this product um, as useful, as beautiful, as desirable, um, and as sustainably as we can, often for an incredibly low budget, right? So that's a challenge. Like anyone can make a Ferrari for 400 grand, but like, you know, making a beautiful car for $30,000, that's genius, right? And so fortunately, we've got just amazing designers, amazing project managers who know materials so well here, and they know how to do this stuff, and it's incredible. And so a big part of sustainable design is how do we use the least amount of material? Uh, to execute our goals. And then when we look at the materials themselves, um, what can we make this out of that's sustainable? And um, we're working with all sorts of interesting things. Again, you know, I'm going to reel off some acronyms that, that sound scary and unapproachable, but actually they're, they're really simple, right? R-P-E-T just stands for recycled polyethylene something. I don't even know what it stands for. Like, this is my business. And um, that's a material that's made of recycled plastic bottles. So you get a bunch of single-use plastic bottles, you shred them, you melt them down into little beads. Those beads are uh, spun into a thread, and that thread can make anything. Uh, right now, we're making, um, for a client I can't talk about because it's in production, a plush toy. And inside is RPET stuffing, and the outside's made of RPET. You'd never know that these were single-use plastic bottles, but we're repurposing all, this, all these old single-use plastic bottles into products that... You, you, that are used every day, whether they're tote bags, uh, plush toys, uh, anything at all. Uh, another interesting uh, material is RPVB, which is um, like a sort of faux leather that's made out of old windshields. And I was amazed there are enough windshields to create, um, you know, create a material manufacturing process. Looked into it, there are loads of windshields. You know, the, the automotive industry is huge, and the old windshields are, you know, pouring through the door. So now these are being turned into an amazing. Um, material that we can make very, very high quality faux leather out of. Um, Pinatex is a uh, fantastic sort of almost papery, leathery material that's made out of old pineapple husks. And you'd have no idea. But again, like the backstory is really cool. I think Gucci or someone like that made a Pinatex a handbag for like four grand or something like that. We make Pinatex bags for five dollars, you know, and they're, they're beautiful. Um, and so there's all manner of sustainable materials, um, like whether it's organic cotton or, uh, you know, there, there's so many different ways to look at sustainable materials or washable paper. They're really exciting. They're really interesting textures. They're really interesting from a design perspective. Um, and then, you know, the third way to uh, make a product sustainable is what you mentioned, which is the uh, life, um, the LCA, which is, you know, the life assessment uh, calculator. Um, which again, you know, scary language, very simple idea. All we're doing is calculating the environmental impact of manufacturing whatever the piece is, right? So if I've got something that's made out of four different materials, what was the environmental impact of manufacturing those four materials, of sewing them together, of shipping them to where they're being shipped to? 
of them being used for a year, you have to make a lot of assumptions, and of them being trucked to a landfill. So the very, very complicated bit of an LCA is creating the calculator, which we try to do ourselves, and we're like, this is way above our pay grade. So we've paid someone very, very clever, a very clever firm to come in and give us all the data bits and pieces. And so now we can plug in you know, the grams of each different piece that we've got, and um, it spits out a number <clears throat> excuse me, which is a carbon, um, a, a tons of carbon that were um, used in creating the piece. And so when we've got that number, we can then work with someone like the Conservation Fund to say, hey, uh, we've made um, you know, a, a kit for the end of a river cruise. Uh, it's uh, going to take this amount of carbon to manufacture it. We want to offset this carbon with you as an organization. And I say, sure, give us this amount of money. And I say, there you go. And now we can print on the kit saying the entire environmental impact of manufacturing this kit has been offset in partnership with the conservation fund or whoever it is that we've partnered with. Um, so very transparent, very clear. If anyone ever asks for that record of transaction or the calculations, we're very happy to share those as well. So it's don't make it. If you make it, use sustainable materials. And then even if you're using sustainable materials, uh, calculate the offset and offset it with the conservation fund if you want to. And as an idea, an offset typically is anywhere from 1% to 2% of whatever the purchase price is, um, is the cost of the offset. So we're not talking about a lot. And uh, the uh, perception in the eyes of the consumer, um, particularly for different brands, of seeing something that has been offset uh, definitely changes the way they feel about the brand in a big way that's probably worth 1% or 2% of uh, whatever the purchase price is probably <laughs> yeah probably um i mean I, I that's certainly true if you have two products that are otherwise identical and one says offset uh carbon offset and the other one doesn't it's such a no-brainer in my opinion just to go for the carbon offset because why wouldn't you do that i agree uh, uh, there's all sorts of stats uh, which i can't remember any right now about um, consumers changing mindset towards sustainable products and just how important it is to be able to position yourself genuinely sustainably um, because greenwash is going to be sniffed out pretty quickly. Indeed. So, so the products that you're uh, creating and designing for uh, your clients, uh, you mentioned that you have designers and, and you have people who are essentially geniuses, what it sounds like, when it comes to the materials and, and picking and sourcing and actually creating things out of the materials. So that element the materials part um you it sounds like you have a, a really wide variety of options as far as what's available to you in order to to make sure that it's not just virgin plastic that's being pumped out of the ground exactly exactly look we've got when, when you look at the mixture of design and materials um we've got an infinite number of options to solve any problem so that's actually the biggest challenge of a design and manufacturing company like ours <clears throat> it's not overwhelming the client with too much right if i come to a client with 20 different design options they'll probably never pick one but if i come to a client with uh excuse me <clears throat> with two or three um then th that makes the process a lot easier so there's an element of curation to what we do um and a lot of that comes from i mean our designers are just absolutely fantastic i mean not only as individuals but as um, their design thinking, um, which is a whole different conversation, 
percolates through the business, not only from the way that they design uh, the products, but also the way that they think about problems and approach challenges. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very exciting part of the business is the design side, um, because design is wonderful. I mean, design makes life better. Design makes life beautiful. It makes life functional. Uh, it's so important. And um, to be part of a design firm is so exciting. So you get to create things that people love and that, that actually change the way that people experience something as important as their time off, which is uh, vital to our mental health. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really cool. Um, I think you're, I, I don't know a whole lot about design. It's not really my, um, it's not really the way I think, I suppose, but it is really, when I hear designers talk about the work that they do, it's always really inspiring, very exciting. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. To see design is, is so electrifying. You know? And you know it when you see it. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, so we, we've talked about what, um, uh, basically how businesses can really be more sustainable through that question why. And I'm, I'm curious to know if we can take some of that I- idea and, and apply it more to individuals. So really, you know, if I, as just me, Daniel, wants to, to be more sustainable in my daily life and, and the way I, I uh, you know, live really and the choices I make, what advice would you give to someone like me or I suppose to any of our listeners really um, who who wants to be more sustainable and maybe isn't sure on how to get started or maybe they're already doing a lot and they want to do more? Sure. Uh, so I think a big part of my mindset is waste is opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. So if you sit down and look at your personal finances, uh, which I think a lot of us are doing in the COVID era, right? Because our expenses have likely plummeted, but maybe our income's gone down or maybe our income's gone away in some cases. Uh, so this is a great time to look at your budget and look um, at a pretty detailed level at the, the things that you're spending money on. And again, go back to the why, right? Paper towels, fuck, spending a lot of money on paper towels, you know, or whatever it is. The alternative, um, and I, I don't know why this example has come to mind, is having a bunch of rags that you wash and reuse over and over again. And I tell you, it's way more effective, way more efficient. You've got a bucket and the dirty ones get a bucket and wash them once a week. Um, it's, it's small things like that, um, like, you know, cooking your lunches and bringing them in in reusable Tupperware versus buying a bunch of single-use plastic you know, from shops over and over again. It, it, it's small things that really mount up, uh, and it all comes from taking a moment to pause, just like we would with a client, step back, say, hey, what does the research say about the best way to live your life, Right. What does the research say about um, the way that you're operating right now? And what am I doing right now? And see where those places are to fix, right? Um, And this goes pretty deep. You know, if if you look at your day, um, not only uh, because I I do believe that a big part of sustainability on a personal level is mental health, right? Being able to be happy and be in a a functional and clear-minded place. Um, is a very big part of being able to lead a more sustainable lifestyle. Um, and so you know, looking at the amount of time you spend on your phone and the amount of time that you're um, maybe not exercising and you should be, um, and looking at the very clearly laid out research um, about perhaps you know, what would make you feel a little better, what would make you um, be a little healthier, and actually doing it. Um, it's probably a good first step because when you've got a foundation of of health and happiness, then you can really start to address 
you know, the issues like sustainability. Like, okay, great. Look, I'm, I've gone for my run. Um, you know, I've cooked a breakfast. I've, I've cooked uh, a week's worth of lunches, which are healthy, and I'm putting them in glass jars, which I'm going to, you know, eat out of, and I'm not going to create waste. It's, I think personal sustainability is part of a, uh, is a is a symptom of um, addressing some of the underlying bigger issues of um, am I happy? Am I healthy? Am I looking after myself? Am I looking after my health? Uh, and then it all trickles down from there. So uh, slightly long-winded answer, and you know maybe one that won't make immediate sense. Um, yeah, did that make sense? <laughs> now I'm questioning myself. Yeah, no, I think I think it does. Um... I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, it kind of reminds me of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, you really have to start with um, the most kind of, you know, if it's a triangle, you have to start with the, with, the bottom, with the bottom part first, which is your most important needs. And only then, if once those are taken care of, you can really start thinking about sustainability. And, and it sounds like what you're saying really is the idea of um, taking care of yourself so that you can take care of others uh, and the planet and the environment, et cetera. Um, uh, it's really, really crucial because if you're unable to first take care of yourself, it becomes very challenging to take care of anything else, really. Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, you know, leading a sustainable lifestyle is, is a symptom of uh, doing a few other things right. Um, yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun journey to go on, to kind of take a step back, look at how you're doing things now, think, is there a better way to be doing it? Do those, and, uh, and so you can build sustainability into that into that sort of journey of uh, of progress. So, final question that uh, is, a, in my opinion, is a fun one, um, and and just uh, I like to ask anyway is, um, who would you say that you admire in the field of sustainability? Ooh, I mean, God, so many people, but I'm going to give you a vague answer, not not individuals, not vague. I admire uh, the people who have the most to do, who are running businesses that have the most to do on a sustainability standpoint, who stand up and say, hey, we need to, we need to be better. And the immediate um, companies that come to mind are cruise lines. Right? They are so unsustainable right now. And for a long time, they kind of, uh, kind of shrugged it off. But in the last year or so, they've stood up and they've said, we've got work to do, right? And that's the first step. And that's a big step. So whenever you see a company come out of the shadows and say, hey, we're not perfect, we've got work to do. As long as they've laid out a plan uh, to be better, then um, they should be rewarded. Um, So I, I admire people who take risk and that's big risk. That's big publicly traded shareholder risk in stepping forward and saying, hey, we've, we've got work to do. Um, and uh, I think we're going we're gonna to see a lot more of that. I think, you know, we were doing so well before COVID and seeing progress. Uh, we've obviously taken a big step back. You know, everything's wrapped in single-use plastic, all these gloves, all these masks. Like, it's horrible to see. Um, but I understand it. Um, so I'm hoping as COVID winds down these sustainability conversations will come back to the forefront and why not that's my hope and that's that's what we'll be working to uh, i mean we're, we're working on talking about them now but um in a in a crisis like this it seems to have been put on the back seat unfortunately 
Yeah, well, I think, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think it comes back to that hierarchy of needs, really, you know, making sure that we're we're healthy and and able to, to do the work that needs to be done. Um, it, yeah, it's a tough situation, but um, I suppose it is what it is. But Patrick, thank you so much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. And for anyone who's interested in learning more about uh, the work that you're doing at Masher, if there is anyone who's listening who may be interested in actually speaking to you specifically about, uh, you know, working with you and and having you advise them and asking some very difficult why questions and ultimately um, creating some great sustainable products for them, where can people actually go to uh, to learn more and and to to speak to you about that? Yeah, come to marshare.com. Um, well, I'm sure put a link in the description or um, come find me on LinkedIn. Again, I'm sure we can put a link somewhere. Um, but yeah, I'll be very happy to chat to you and uh, very happy to ask you why if you're ready to have that conversation. It's a, it's a very important conversation and one that um, I think we should embrace no matter how difficult it is. Um, so, Pat, yeah, Patrick, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And um, best of luck with with making some big changes to companies who clearly have uh, have changes to be made. Well, Daniel, thank you so much. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this and uh, look forward to uh, keeping the conversation alive. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating. And also, please subscribe, whether on your podcast app or on YouTube. And that way you can be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.